This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanol, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We get it, Peers. Starting a business can be an awe-inspiring, fear-inducing mountain that feels way too difficult to climb. Often, it can feel like there are 99 obstacles between you and starting your dream business, and you have zero clue what to do next. Luckily, our next guest is here to reveal the key steps to starting with a bang. I'm so excited to welcome Andrew Mitson to the show today. He's the co-founder of Uplearn, founder of First Words Languages, and a Forbes 30 Under 30 listee. When Andrew dropped out of school to pursue entrepreneurship, he thought he'd stumbled onto something new. But when his business shut down, Andrew was left to teach himself the entire school course to sit his university entrance exams. Where most people only see problems, Andrew delights in diving deep to identify the root cause of the crisis and find a solution. And this is exactly what he did. In just six weeks, Andrew went from being a high school dropout to achieving a 98% average with offers from Cambridge and the London School of Economics. The secret to his transformation? The power of online education and Andrew's next business idea, Uplearn. Since then, he's gone on to start his second business, First Words Languages, courses that will get you speaking a new language in just 30 days. I'm thrilled to be talking to Andrew today about how we can start a business in seven days, the high-level process he uses to overcome his challenges, and how we can become more confident and develop perseverance. For those of you who haven't yet, Make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these awesome Forbes 30 Under 30 listees. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Andrew Mitson. Andrew, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course. You know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn. And when I looked into you and all the awesome work you're doing in the e-learning space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, not a problem at all. Happy to have to chat. Awesome. Cool. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I started my first company when I was 16 years old. Um, so at the time I was living in a house without hot water. We had snails um, crawling around on our carpets. It was quite a horrible place. And I saw entrepreneurship as a way to escape that. So I dropped out of school and I tried to start my first company. And we built these things called cable stables. So you'll probably have this problem here where you unplug a cable and it falls off the edge of the desk. So you have this little device and you clip your cable into place, stops it from falling off. So spent like almost a year trying to get this up and running. And we did sell to like Maplin and B&Q and we raised uh, enough money to sort of fund its production. But almost like six weeks before my AS level exams, I realized like this isn't really going in the right direction. Um, so we shut the company down. That gave me about six weeks to revise 
for my AS levels, which I did using YouTube, online forums, these weird like torrent sites where you can download like papers from like the 1990s. And I ended up getting 98% in my AS level exams, which was the highest in the year. And after that, I got four A stars, I uh, got into Cambridge and LSE. And I'd had this like crazy transformational educational experience where I'd gone from like thinking I was so dumb that I had to drop out of school to being like uh, top of the year and with offers at these, you know, great institutions to study. Um, so that's when I first sort of realized the power of kind of education, online technology, et cetera. Um, and then from there, I started a few like little projects um, here and there in um, the education space. Um, I had like a tuition center where we uh, recorded the audio of the lessons so parents could listen in and then learn how to teach their kids. Um, there was like an online tutoring platform as, as well. And then in my third year at university, um, I met my co-founder at Upler, my previous company. And together we get built Uplearn into, um, yeah, a platform that now has like 100,000 plus users, something like that. And it was really just offering students the same uh, educational experience I had when I was a kid. Um, so um, we produced these online videos, um, created all the resources you need to get an A star at A level. And then we built this algorithm that uh, detected your strengths and weaknesses and systematically took you back to your weakest areas um, until you reach 90% in every topic, at which point we guaranteed students they would get an A or A star in their final exam or they get all of their money back. Um, so that was really cool. And it was sort of the product that I'd always wanted to build uh, when I was 16. Like I would have loved that because um, although I did well, like self-studying was so, so hard. Um, and there were, there were many times where I thought like, this just isn't going to work. Um, I've wasted like, you know, my whole education now. Um, you know, fortunately it, it turned out well and, um, yeah, so it was, was working on Uplearn, uh, for two years and then sort of around, uh, February, uh, last year, I kind of just got super burnt out cause I was running Uplearn. And then I also had this other company in like DNA fitness and celebrity body transformations. Then I was also teaching at LSE two days a week. So it just like got too much and, um, it coincided with my dad passing away and I was like, man, this is like, I need to just step back. Um, so yeah, I, I took some time off work. Um, I, I met my, my previous girlfriend. Uh, we went sort of traveling together for about a year. Um, started in uh, Israel, we went through Europe, uh, landed in Spain. And that's where I taught myself uh, Spanish um, in the space of about 30 days. And that was the inspiration for, for the next project. Um, yeah, and then flew uh, over to Colombia, traveled through Latin America. And um, yeah, at some point, I think it was in January, I was at like this uh, New Year's Eve uh, hostel party in like a jungle in North Colombia. And I was at the bar and this um, Aussie girl, um, we, we were talking in, in English and uh, I turned over to the bartender and I said he had a nice beard and I, I ordered a beer and I did it all in fluent Spanish. And this Aussie girl like grabs me and she's like, how the fuck you do that? I've been living here for six fucking months. I can't say a fucking thing. And I was like, oh my God, calm down. Okay. Uh, I said, look, when we save her up tomorrow, I'll, I'll tell you everything. Um, so next day woke up in like this river, El Rio Hostel. So it's like the river hostel. And um, she's immediately at my throat. She's like, you, you told me how you, you know, learn Spanish. So I started going through all these techniques I'd use, like comprehensible in input, um, iterative pronunciation, mnemonic link, specialization, all of these different um, strategies that I'd used to go from zero to conversational in about 30 days in Spanish. And by the end of this sort of uh, talk, what it turned into like a lecture, I had like this group of people who were there like, okay, cool. So is there like something that does this all for you, like puts it all together? And I was like, like, no, not, not even close. Um, so I flew back to, to London and, and since then I've been building, um, first words, we offer 30 day courses that get you speaking a, a new language. Uh, we don't get you to fluency at all. We, we get you to a point where you can have a conversation. And the idea is from there, you can continue learning a language to fluency if you want by watching Netflix or just having real conversations. Um, or you can go on to, uh, you know, a new language. And my ambition isn't to be uh, a master of like, you know, one language. It's to be uh, the guy who can have a meaningful, interesting conversation. The guy who can go on dates or whatever in like a series of different languages. Um, and that's, that's what we're building right now. A course that does that uh, right now, it does it for Spanish. And we're trying to build courses that do that for, um, yeah, a variety of other languages.
Wow. It's so, it's so interesting having read what you do and then hearing it back. I think that something I so appreciate about you and, and just, you know, the, the way you go about life is your ability to just kind of navigate your way through things, even when, you know, it's super uncertain, even when it's not the traditional path, you kind of somehow find a way, which is something I think I really, I really appreciate about you. So look, I want to go a bit further back. I want to go deep into kind of your childhood and where this kind of desire and like, I guess, character trait to constantly be able to navigate came from. So talk to us a little bit about what your parents did, where you grew up and that time there. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of all of this sort of navigational ability, if you will, uh, came from having, I guess, an unstable uh, childhood where I couldn't really trust my parents to make the right decisions um, for me. And as a result of that, by sort of the age of 10, I guess, I was sort of completely independent. Um, so I would, you know, cook my own food, do the groceries. Um, I mean, yeah, we had a business actually when I was 10. We used to sell uh, toxic waste, me and my brother at school. Uh, we bought it for like 10p at our corner shop and then sold it at school for like a pound. And that's how we used to buy like video games and shit like that. Um, so yeah, I'd already always sort of had that, I'd sort of build that up from my childhood out of necessity, I guess. And um, yeah, that's where that ability, I guess, comes from. And now that I've been through it so many times, when I get that, those those thoughts, we're like, dude, what the fuck is going to happen? Like, this is scary. Like, you should back out and like become an accountant or whatever. <laughs> um, I'm like, actually, no, like I've done this like a hundred times over. Like, you just need to get through the initial fog and then things will clear up and then they'll get foggy again and then they'll clear up. And eventually you'll reach a point where you're like successful or whatever. Um, and still, still, you know, things still get foggy and, and clear up. But like every time I enter that fog, I'm like, I've been here before, like a million times. You just need to persevere just a little bit. And yeah, you're in the clear. What are some, give us some tangible things that we can do to be able to persevere better. You know, so many of us don't have the ability that you have, you know, and haven't been through it a million times. What can we do to develop that skill? Yeah, so um, even though I've been through it a million times, I'm still terrible at it, right? So um, one of the strategies that I've developed, uh, one of them is accountability. So as soon as I started working on this uh, new project, I immediately got a bunch of interns in and people who could help me out and keep me accountable because then I had a load of people relying on me. Um, and so I couldn't just be like, oh, I'm going to, you know, fuck this shit. I, it's too much. Um, cause what we're building right now is an extremely complicated product, like 10 times anything I've ever done, um, in the past. Um, but having all these people like depending on me and looking to me, uh, for leadership, I kind of have no choice, but to keep pushing through that fog. And the progress we've made has been, you know, incredible in just sort of what, like three months, two months. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's been really exciting. Um, another strategy I use though is, um, kind of like first principles thinking. So if I'm ever in a, like, okay, here's a good example, actually. So in March, when I first got back, I had a bit of downtime March of this year, and I wanted to do the GRE exam, which is like an exam you do to do masters in a master's degree in the States. And I needed to get into the 99th percentile for this exam because I wanted to do data science at Harvard, which is like very hot right now, very competitive. Um, and so I started, you know, studying and like the first test scores I got, I was like in the 70th percentile and like wasn't do- doing too well. Um, and so I started using this, this approach of sort of first principles thinking. So I tried to get to the root cause of why I was f***ing up and where the errors were coming from. So in one of my math exams, for example, I realized that oh, hey, um, I spent like six minutes on this question and I got it wrong. Um, so I need to, you know, work a little bit more on, on this question type. Um, or let's say I got like question 22 wrong. I'd ask myself why. And it, the answer might be, oh, well, you got this question wrong because you were rushing. It was like a silly mistake. And most people will stop there and they'd be like, oh, it's fine. Next time I won't be so in such a rush. And it's like, no, 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 no. Get to the root cause of why, why this went wrong. So I'll be like, okay, so I was in a rush. Why was I rushing? And then I'll analyze like the timesheets and how much time I was spending per question and be like, oh yeah, because I was spending six minutes on this other question. Okay, so then go back again. Like, why was I spending six minutes on that other question? Well, because I hadn't dealt with that kind of question before. Okay, so how do you get better at those questions? Well, you find like a bank of questions that are very similar, train yourself on, on those questions. 
Um, and then you go even further and like actually make that actionable. So when am I going to do that? I'll schedule it in for like Friday at this time. And if you have an accountability problem, then hire like a math tutor on the spot who will keep you accountable to that, you know, Friday session. And that way you're not just like so many people like are aware of the problems. Like so many people have tried diets, for example, uh, and they're like, oh, I just can't stick to it, blah, blah, blah. But they never get to the root cause of like why um, they're messing up in, you know, whatever area um, of their life. So that ability, and, and the same applies to, to business. Um, like one example that comes to mind uh, when I was running this uh, celebrity body transformation company was um, we were selling these packages that um, solved um, yeah, like the weight loss problem. So you got a trainer who would keep you accountable every single day. He'd train you at your house. He had no escape. Um, you'd get all your food delivered to you every single day. And that's what you would eat. Um, and we were selling these packages at around like 3000 pounds a month. And for the first month running this, like people were like 3000 pounds, are you, that's my fucking salary. Like what the fuck? So we could have just been like, oh, there's no market for this. You know, let's just call it a day. Um, but instead, again, we went like to first principles. So why aren't people buying the package? They like the idea. They just don't like the price point. Okay. So we could bring it down. Is that possible? No, because it's too expensive. What we're doing wouldn't have the margins. So in that case, we need to upscale to a higher bracket of, um, you know, um, like a rich person, basically, who can afford this shit. Um, so we were like, okay, so we need to target rich people. Where do rich people, you know, hang out? And they're like all these exclusive clubs or whatever, but like, we're not in that circle. So how do we get in touch with them? And we found concierge companies who do concierge for, you know, super rich people. Um, and we were like, hey, if you uh, promote our product to, you know, your clients or whatever, we'll pay you a thousand pounds per sale. And they were like, yes, that sounds great. Um, and that's how we got into the market. Um, so... Again, a, a business that a lot of people probably would have given up on because they were like, look, I don't know any rich people. How am I going to do it? Like, we just thought systematically about like, how do you conquer each problem? Like what's at the root cause of the issue? And then how do we tackle that issue versus getting like overwhelmed and like, you know, wrapping yourself up in like a carpet and crying yourself to sleep. Like we were just like, what is actually causing the problem? And let's engineer solutions to those problems. I find the way that's fascinating, by the way, I, th I find the way that you think super cool. I think so many of us are quite surface. We just don't go deep enough. Where do you think that comes from for you? Um, again, I think it's like, it all goes back to having to think. So like the average kid um, grows up, their parents tell them what to do. They follow those instructions. They go to school. Uh, they don't drop out. They follow those instructions, um, get from A to B. Whereas I grew up in this environment where I was like, uh, okay, so I need to eat. I have no money to eat. Um, how the f do I do that? So from a very early age, I was forced to have to think about how to navigate these situations and overcome problems. And that turns into a habit over time. So yeah, I mean, by the, like I'm 24 now and like, this is just my automatic, uh, thought process. Like I don't like it's, it's completely habitual. Um, but you can also train it. Like everybody who's working for me right now, this is one of the first exercises we do. So even in the interview, actually, I give them questions like, one of the questions I ask them is, um, uh, what problems do you see in the business model? And we have like an, a conversation about it and we try and get to why. And I try and get, I try and sort of coax them into this method of, of thinking. Um, and another thing we do at, at, uh, at the office is, whereas most people, when they're having sort of a conversation or a meeting, they'll kind of talk over each other. Things will get rhetoricized. Um, we get everyone to write down their chains of reasoning. So the logical chains of reasoning behind their argument um, and write it out like in bullet points. And then instead of being like, no, you're wrong. Yeah, yeah, like you can be like, okay, that I don't understand this premise in the argument. I don't understand this step in the causal chain of reasoning. Let's have a conversation about that step. Um, and you just like your, your decision-making just, it's 10 times like the average person's who's just like, oh, I think this is a good idea. Let's do this. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, let's, why, why is, why do you think this is a good idea? Like, how does it work? Um, and, and then we can look at, you know, what premises are potentially faulty. We can test the premises and, and get to a, yeah, a, a much more like, I, not necessarily the right answer, but like the, the closest right answer we can get to from the armchair, like a priori. Yeah. 
Wow. I think I'm just going to spend the rest of this time being like, wow, 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 wow. I'm going to try and contain myself. (laughs) Um, No, I just find it. Yeah. I just find it so interesting. Okay. So let's dive a bit deeper into the progression of, of, of what you did. So, you know, you get into university, you're, you're now topping, you know, your classes and that as well. And, and then this idea for, you know, your first company comes about what, you know, how did you juggle studying? So, you know, studying so hard and all of that, supporting yourself and then also starting to build your next company or your first real company. Yeah. So uh, again, just like a lot of these things happened out of necessity. So the reason that, so for example, the, the way I supported myself through university is um, every Sunday I would do 12 hours of tutoring, like back to back from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Um, and I didn't do that because like, um, I was like, oh, it'd be cool to make some money. This. I was like, hey, I need some fucking money. So like, let's find a way to, to get, get that. Um, and then for me, like starting a business, there was like no alternative because I tried uh, to apply to jobs and every job application asks you like, why are you passionate about this shitty, boring finance job? And I'm just like, dude, I'm not like, I'm not going to like lie in this application. So I was like, this, this is a no go as well. Um, so yeah, the only thing I really knew was like, okay, so entrepreneurship makes, Mm. makes sense. Um, but in terms of like time management or, or, or juggling things, uh, one really big thing was just like delegation. So like in my third year at LSE, uh, I was running two different societies while running the company and the tutoring and, and some other things on the side. Um, and the way that I was able to manage those societies was um, getting like talented people in and then just instead of micromanaging them and being like, I want you to contact this person on this day and I want you to do this meeting. I was just like, okay, your objective is to uh, like organize all the talks for, for this society. And I remember we had this amazing a woman called Sarah who just, who did that. And then I I didn't have to do anything. We had like the speakers of like Deliveroo, Shazam, all come into our uh, tiny little university to to give talks. Um, Another guy was like organizing this conference. And I was like, dude, you need to sell 400 tickets. Like you're going to go and you're going to go and do it. And we like every week we'd have like high level meetings where we discuss like, okay, what are like the pain points? And that's where I'd be able to give my insight. But like the day-to-day micromanaging, I would do none of that at all. I would give them like these missions or projects and they would have to find their own way of sort of getting there. Um, And again, it was kind of like they would, what was fueling them was necessity. They had to hit those goals. So they just find a way. And people are like, just like 10 times smarter when they have to do something. Like you see it all the time. Like students do fuck all throughout the year um, up until exams. Then they're like, oh wait, I have to do this exam, don't I? Right, right, right. So then like in a week, they find a way to like ace the exam um, or like weight loss. Like one of my friends, um, her mom is morbidly obese. And so she's been overeating like a whole life. And then she went in for this gastric bypass surgery. And for a week, she had to eat super clean, super healthily. She had no fucking problem because she knew that if she didn't eat like that, she would like die in the operation. So necessity, like giving people consequences, attaching consequences to their actions, letting people know that if they fuck up, like this is significant, I, I, that, that gets people sort of running uh, 100 miles an hour in the right direction. Um, so yeah, delegating was a huge part of being able to manage all of these different things. Um, another part was batching. So I didn't do the tutoring, for example, like two hours on a Monday, one hour on a Wednesday. It was all on Sunday. That time was just like written off. Um, cause otherwise what happens is like, if you have like a day full of these itty bitty tasks, things just bleed into each other. So like, if you're like, oh, I'm going to check my emails for like 10 minutes, then I'm going to like, um, write this marketing copy. Oh, and then I'm going to do this meeting. You never really get anything done. Cause you're just switching between random shit. Whereas if you're like, okay, so Monday, I'm going to write all the social media for like the, the next month, then, then it's done. And like, it doesn't like bleed into anything else that you're doing. Um, or if Thursday, Thursday is my meeting day. So that's, that's why I'm here. Uh, you're one of the, the meetings. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> um, but like this whole day has been like filming, um, interviews, uh, meetings, and then that's done. Like, I'm not going to have meetings for the rest of the week. I can get into like more deep work um, coding or, uh, yeah, like writing marketing copy or like higher level strategy or whatever that, whatever that is. Yeah. Mm. So cool. I think there's, I think so many, many of us can get so caught up with the little itsy bitsy things and with our schedules or whatever it may be. And then that ultimately, you know, leads to not much efficiency and you don't get much done and all that kind of stuff. So 
huge takeaways here. I love it. I love it. Okay, cool. So let's dive a bit deeper into how the early steps to building out a company. So you've started Upwork, hugely successful, and then now your your current company, First Words Languages. Talk to us a little bit about the early stages. Like what do we do if we've got this idea, we're really into it, we're like, okay, cool, we think there might be product market fit. Yep. What are some of those early sta- steps that we yeah, can take? Yeah, so I wrote uh, an article that's become quite popular. It's called um, How I Started a Business in Seven Days. And it's a real thing. Like this actually took seven days. I, we could have got it done faster, but we were doing like two hours a day. So my brother came to me last year and he's like, you know, I fucking hate a stage agents. And I was like, yeah, yeah, me too. Um, he was like, so what I want to do is like do video tours or flats. Um, and that cuts out the estate agent because if you get like a really accurate video tour of like an apartment, you don't need to go through the estate agent. You can be like, okay, I like this apartment. Um, you know, let's, let's go for it. Um, so yeah, it was selling like video tours of, of properties, um, high-end properties in particular. Okay. So, um, like most people, the first thing he said was like, oh, so I'll probably need like to raise some money for this and like build a team and like hire all this fancy. And I was like, no, no, no. Okay. So the first thing we'll do is find out if people actually like want this product. Um, so in like the space of like an hour, we went on to squarespace.com. Um, you can use squarespace.com or actually what's much better that I've been using recently is leadpages.net. You can make a website in like minutes, no, no coding at all. So like, um, in a few minutes we had like this site, um, set up, um, in the article, I go through like all the like little bits, the, the more concrete steps. Um, and that website should explain your value proposition, how it works, um, shit like that. And then at the end of it, there should be some kind of contact form, um, to make a sale. So we got that up and running and then we found like a list of a hundred sort of estate agents and you can just do that on LinkedIn. So if you want to get in touch with LinkedIn, uh, like estate agents, just type in estate agents into LinkedIn and you'll literally see thousands of these people. Um, So then you send, uh, then you, yeah, so LinkedIn and then you use an app called hunter.io and this gets the email address of these guys on LinkedIn. Now you have like, uh, you know, you have their name, you have the company they're working at and you have their email address. Um, so you put all of that information into MailChimp and you can send like an email blast to hundred people at a time. And, um, a lot of people, uh, and then you can see what the reaction is. So you write an email, like explaining what you're doing. You link to the website. Um, the idea is they open the email, they look at the website. If they're interested, they'll get in touch. And then you can see if people actually want this shit. Um, so yeah, we, we did that. And the response we got was appalling. Like absolutely nobody opened the email. So that was one of the big problems. And the people who did open the email, they were just like, no, nah, not interested. Um, and so we, then you go to the next stage, which is you need to find out why. So if people aren't interested, then you need to find out why they're not interested. And most people do this like with surveys and bullshit like that. A much better way is to actually a phone call. So we then started calling all of these people um, again, we know what company they're working at. So we just rang out the company. We're like, hi, I want to speak with like Charles Foxton. And um, from that email, we're like, so uh, yeah, we sent you this email. We're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember I read that. Um, yeah, we're not really interested. We're like, okay, okay, sorry. Yeah, but why aren't you interested? <laughs> so like, what, what's like, what's going on here? Um, and he was like, well, I'm an estate agent. So I don't really like deal with this shit. Also, like my job is showing people properties. What you're doing is like, you know, cutting into that. So like, oh, okay, interesting. So we're talking to the wrong people. So then we found the right people to speak to. So the guy basically a little bit higher up um, and we went and we pitched and literally within seven days, we had a client at 2000 um, pounds sterling. Um, and like, it was, it was so fast. And um, yeah, so that, that, those are like the practical steps, but, and if you hit a roadblock at any point, it's just a, uh, a matter of going back to first principles and trying to work out, okay, I've hit this roadblock why did I hit the roadblock? So when we sent that email blast out and got no responses, we could have just been like, oh, it's a failure. Let's leave it. But like just going a little bit further and be like, why? And then contacting the people, finding out why. Um, yeah, you get to the the actual answer and then you can use that information to iterate on your business model to get somewhere a little bit further. Yeah. Mm. I love it. It's I'm a huge fan of LinkedIn. It's how you and I connect, yeah, how yeah. I've connected with many of my podcast guests and also in business as well. So I, I love that. So many tangible steps. Okay. So something I find interesting about you is the fact that alongside your ability to navigate, you're also just very inherently confident. So you're like, you know what? We 
didn't know the answer. So we picked up the phone and we talked to them and we were like, no, 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 don't hang up. Why? You know, so many of us just get a little bit timid when it, when it comes to that. So many of us think, wonder what they're going to think. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's the wrong, you know, maybe we should just stop here. All that kind of jazz goes, goes on in our heads. How can we learn to become more confident? Yeah. So, so this is something I can, I think answer really well, because I'm not naturally confident. I, I'm, I, I, yeah, like if you, it's funny, like if you, if you knew me up until age 18, you'd be like, Oh, Andrew's like that really shy kid, like in the, you know, corner of the classroom. Um, yeah. So, so I'm not like naturally charismatic or confident or anything like that. Um, so that's something that I've had to kind of train over a while. And, um, one of the biggest things you can do, uh, to become more confident is, um, so you can start by like Tim Ferriss has this exercise called fear setting, which is where you, you write down like the fear, like the thing that's uh, making you feel unconfident. So for example, coming on this podcast, um, okay. I didn't really have a problem coming yeah, on this yeah. podcast, but, <laughs> but um, let's say I did, I could have just written down like what's holding me back. And it might've been, oh, I might say something retarded on, on the podcast. And then people think I'm, I'm stupid. And then just like understanding, is that like a rational fear? Like what's the worst case scenario in other words? So being like, okay, so if this like fucks up majorly, like what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, like the people who listen to this podcast, you know, think I'm a bit of a dipshit. Uh, it's probably not going to like consequentially impact my life. And if it went really bad, I could just be like, hey, is there any chance we could just like not, you know, do this podcast? Just before the podcast, I was saying how this morning I was filming a testimonial of this kid who'd used um, a, one of the, the products um, that, that we built to go from uh, two GCSEs to um, UCL, which is one of the best universities um, in the UK. And this guy was shitting himself before. He was like, what if people find out I have got two GCSEs? I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's like the point. But um, he was like, what if they look like, look down on me? Da, da, da. And like, we just went through all of his fears. We're like, okay, so like, if these people look down on you for having two GCSEs, are they like really your friends? Um, maybe not. Also, um, you're now at UCL, which is better than, you know, most universities in, in the UK. It's top five. So you should have no shame in, you know, getting to that because you're here now. You don't need to be ashamed of having, you know, low grades when you were um, much younger. Um, and then he was worried, like, what if, uh, like UCL find out and they think like, um, oh, they should kick him out or whatever. I was just like, dude, like this is again, just an irrational fear. Like they've accepted you. It would look terrible if they didn't rejected you because they knew your grades, um, antecedently. So, um, yeah, going through all of those fears, um, he was then like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Like worst case scenario, nothing happens. And I was like, and like, let's say something does happen. We just like delete the video. Nobody sees it. And then it was like, okay, yeah, fine. This is actually pretty harmless. Same thing with like a cold call. What's the worst case? Well, the guy like hangs up on you and you, you just call somebody else. So like an email blast. Okay. Worst case you find out um, people aren't interested in your product. That's great. Like that's really useful information. Cause then you don't waste the next 10 years trying to build, you know, a product that people don't want to, don't want to sort of live with. So that's one thing you can do. Another thing though is uh, like just being weird. So, so all the time, um, like um, if I'm in like a store or at a restaurant or something, I will just ask for like slightly awkward things on the menu and it just gets you awkward. Like it gets you like acclimated to being rejected and being told no. Um, but it also gets you acclimated to the possibility that you know, sometimes people say yes. Like I've ordered like weird shit on the menu. Like I've gotten chefs to like mix three different like meals on the menu. Um, and then like provide that, like offer that on a plate for me. And yeah, when they say yes, you're like, huh, shit, that, that worked. Like, so, um, and that kind of gives you, uh, that gives your brain evidence that you can be a little bit more out there. Um, the next time you're in that kind of situation. Um, so yeah, just doing like, little weird thing, just pushing yourself a tiny bit out of your comfort zone. I'm not saying like get on stage and like do stand up comedy. I'm just saying like push yourself a little bit out of the comfort zone. Like, um, I, I don't know, like if somebody's serving you, uh, like if you're at a burrito place and you like ordered like a burrito bowl and they've given you some guacamole, just be like, sorry, can I get a bit more guacamole? And they'll be like, oh, that'll be extra. And like, no, 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 but just a little bit more, no extra. Uh, and they'll be like, yeah, sure. I guess that's fine. Um, like on Sunday, I got some free hummus, you know, and it's just like these little exercises where you're just like, you know, like showing your brain that, Hey, you know, you can ask for things. You can be a little bit out there. You can be yourself. 
And the worst that happens is people will be like, Haha, no, uh, the best thing that happened though, you'll get some free hummus or you'll start like a successful company or, you know, uh, <laughs> hummus, <laughs> successful company. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think those low stakes experiments are super important and you can collect those, um, as reference points for much bigger things. So for me, like, uh, selling toxic waste when I was, uh, 10 years old, a little sweet that, that I was selling. Um, that was a reference point for when I was 16 and started my first, like more, uh, proper company. And that was a reference point for when I was like 17 and I started a more proper, like, uh, da, da, da. and now everything that I've done in the past is a reference point, our reference points for what I'm doing right now. And as you collect more of these reference points, you're like, shit, I can do so many kind of cool things like that. Like asking for the, the hummus worked, maybe asking for the guacamole will work. Maybe, I don't know, asking for a sale would work. Like maybe putting this product out that would work. Maybe starting this company would work, et cetera. I love it. Like literally I can see the marketing. I can see the social media tiles of what your episode, like with the quotes, it's all happening in my head. Super cool, super practical um, advice. Amazing. Okay, so let's dive a bit deeper into what you're doing now to build um, your company, the new one. So you said you've got a couple of interns on board, they're keeping you accountable, you're building this system, which is the most technical and the most difficult you ever have. What have been some of the early challenges that you've now tackled? Yeah, um, interesting. So it's challenging because like, I don't see them as challenges. You know what I mean? Like they're just like a day-to-day -day kind of obstacle. Right. So, but I mean, there've been loads. Um, like one that I guess we're still wading through right now is, um, the funding problem. So, uh, the, as we started kind of iterating and ideating around the product, we realized like we could do something really, really fucking cool. Like, um, this could be a very innovative um, solution to, to language learning. Um, and so we need around, we, we need like uh, a significant amount of money to get it off the ground. Um, so that's been tricky because I'm reluctant to like give away um, equity at such an early stage. And also I just don't think it's necessary. Um, so we've been trying to find like a, a side hustle, like a company side hustle to uh, generate cash uh, for the company so that we can use that cash to build the, you know, the actual product um, that we want to. Um, so that was initially very challenging because we were like, how the hell do we make like, uh, we're aiming to make like 100K in about like a month, basically. Uh, it isn't the easiest thing to do. Um, so yeah, but I mean, the way we went about that was like very similar to like this kind of systematic way of thinking, which is like, Okay, so how do you make money? Well, you sell somebody that sells something that that you know people value. Okay, what can we make that's that's valuable? Like, what expertise do we have that people don't have? And for us, it was all like having gone to like really top universities. Um, so we we put together like this package, um, this like sort of online course and mentoring system um, that takes you through the university application process. And we're selling it for like ninety nine pounds, which is absolutely nothing when you compare it to like twenty seven k that you'll spend on uh, you know university tuition fees. Um, and now, yeah, we're steamrolling forward with that and yeah, we'll very comfortably hit, you know, the, the milestone that we need to. Um, and also like that has now turned into like actually a very lucrative kind of, <laughs> kind of side venture. Um, so that was one problem we had on the, on the funding. Um, yeah. Go ahead. So just in that, can we dive a bit deeper into that? I find this fascinating. So the, talk to us a little bit about how you're getting the word out there about this. So it's 99 pound per package. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing to kind of get it out there? Sure. So, um, we started by partnering with a bunch of companies, uh, or websites that get a lot of traffic from A-level students. That's who we're pitching this to. And, uh, we offered them like a 50, 50 commission split. So, um, that's taken off. And then we got into, we're getting into, still getting into kind of this influencer market. Um, so there are lots of people who vlog about uh, university and people like just eat that shit up. Um, so yeah, we've got in touch with a lot of these guys um, and they're now promoting what we're doing um, online. And that's driving huge traffic to the website too. Um, and then there are other things like, uh, the student room, which is like a forum for where students hang out and just posting like really useful 
pieces of content on there, which with no like hidden agenda or sale, it's literally just like, look, here's just like pure value. And if you want, like there's a subscribe button, like just, you know, uh, at the bottom of the article. Um, that's also been uh, very effective. Yeah. I love it. I just love your ability to like see the issue and then just be like, okay, cool. Well, it's just so practical. How do we, you know, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's super cool. And I hope many of us are, yeah, are taking away everything from this. So, okay, cool. So talk to us a little bit about where you hope to take what you're doing now. Like, what do you want First Worlds to be? Yeah, absolutely. So the the idea again behind First Words is um, to get you speaking a new language in, in 30 days. Um, so we're currently beta with the Spanish course. And right now we've got a 100% success rate. So the students who've gone through the beta version have been able to speak Spanish at, at the end of it in the way that we wanted them to. Um, so that's, that's really awesome. We're now just trying to work out how do we kind of scale that? How do we iterate on it? Um, what were the, like the bigger, like the biggest problem we have right now is how do we make sure people stick with our product for, you know, that those, those 30 days. Um, so one of the things we've got is, uh, from day one, you're paired with a WhatsApp conversation tutor. So you can like send each other voice messages from day one. And that keeps you very motivated because you see like you're le- using your Spanish all the time. Um, but yeah, the idea is that early next year, we'll be able to launch this full, um, version. Um, then after that, the company is going to move to France, which is where we're going to build our French course. And then after that to Italy for the Italian course. And then we're just going to keep going until we've got like, until we've learned all the languages that we want to learn basically. Um, so like the goal is to get to eight cause that's when you're called like a hyper polyglot or something. <laughs> so that, that would be really cool. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, it's just like, we're all very young. Like the average age of the company is like 20 or something. So, so, um, yeah, we've got like, uh, like this is an adventure for us and the fact that we can do it while building an extremely profitable business, obviously amazing. And the fact that we can do all of that while, you know, helping thousands and thousands of people, you know, learn a new language is, is really exciting too. But, um, like in the next kind of five, six years, the, the goal is just to have this platform where anyone's like, somebody is like, huh, you know, it'd be cool to like, learn Spanish and they can like click their fingers 30 days. They are speaking Spanish, not fluently, but enough to go on a date, have a conversation, travel through Latin America, um, you know, the same way that, that I did. Um, and at that point we'll then maybe switch our focus. One thing we'd love to do is actually build courses for, um, students of English. So people from China who want to learn English and, and that, that takes the business to a new level. Cause now, I mean, learning English is like a number one, like, like yeah, if you don't speak English, um, and you're, you're trying to sort of, um, do business in an international marketplace, like it's, it's almost not possible. So, um, yeah, building a course that could take, uh, you know, foreign, well, yeah, uh, speakers of non, non-native speakers of English and getting them in 30 days to a place where they can have a conversation, do business in English. Um, that would be absolutely insane. And the impact we could have on like developing communities would just be, you know, huge. Like I've spent a lot of time in, uh, Latin America. A lot of my good friends are from, from Venezuela. And like, um, you know, the average wage there is like 50 cents, like seriously, like it's 50 cents. And, you know, if they could just go from speaking Spanish to speaking Spanish and English, they can now work in not Venezuela, but like anywhere in the world, they can be like a virtual assistant to somebody in New York. They can be like head of, you know, performance marketing for somebody in, in, uh, I don't know, in the UK or whatever. And, um, that opens up so many job opportunities, um, like really helps connect, you know, the world. Um, and I think that could have an absolutely huge impact on, on, yeah, the world we live in. Mm. Wow. I, I, there you go. I love it. I, the next question I have is where is your passion? You're so passionate about getting, you know, people to be able to speak the languages they want to speak, or even, you know, the other side, as you said, can people to have the ability to be able to speak English so they could do more for themselves. Where does this come from for you? Yeah. So, so going back to school, I, I studied French for like seven years and I couldn't say anything. Um, in fact, like a few weeks ago, the only thing I thought I could say in French which was, what's your name? I realized I didn't know. So I asked someone like, uh, comment tu t'appelles? Or comment t'appelles-tu? Uh, look at my accent, it's horrible. Uh, and the dude was like, what? And I was like, you know, like, what's your name, bro? And he was like, no, no, it's comment, comment tu t'appelles? Or something like that, other way around, right? And um, I was like, man, seven years. <laughs> and like, I can't say anything. That's mm. insane. Um, so there was that. 
Um, and yeah, I had this like fixed limiting belief that I could not uh, speak a foreign language. And I thought it was like impossible. And you, you basically have, you know, people who can speak a language and people who, who just can't, like, it's not physically possible for their brains to, you know, connect the dots or whatever. Um, and so yeah, last year, um, when I taught myself Spanish in literally the space of like 30 days, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is insane. This is like a superpower. And, and it, and it really is because it connects you with so many wonderful people. Um, like in terms of improving your, your actual state of happiness, language learning is, is so high up there. I, I think it might be number one because, um, you get the progress of learning a new language. You have a goal to work towards, but what you're doing is interacting with other human beings and, you know, social interaction, um, that sounds so, like technical, but like talking to other fucking people is what like having meaningful, interesting conversations and relationships that is, you know, a number one driver of, of human happiness. So, um, w when I like burnt out last year, I mean, I was in a really bad place. Like, um, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And, um, yeah, learning Spanish just opened up all of these crazy cool opportunities for me and, um, seeing the way other people live, making new friends, that helped massively with like my confidence. Um, it helped massively with, you know, my just mental state. Cause I got out of this place where I was kind of just like down beating myself up all the time. I didn't know what I wanted to do, felt very lost. And I was just suddenly like, I had a place, uh, I felt connected basically. And that connection is, is just so important, especially, uh, in like the 21st century where like 25% of people suffer with depression and anxiety and literally conversation is a cure to that. Um, yeah. So that, that's where all of this comes from. It, it really had a transformative impact on my life. And, um, I just want to share that with, with other people. Um, the only other thing I'd add is, um, every time you, you, you shatter a limiting belief that just opens up the world to you, you know? Um, so when I, when I dropped out of school and, and got into to Cambridge, that shattered a limiting belief. I was like, Fuck, if that's possible, what else is possible? Um, when I, I lost, uh, 30 kilograms, uh, two years ago. And I was like, wow, if I've done that, imagine what else I can do. And then yeah, shattering this limiting belief around language. It's just like, wow. Um, now I can do all sorts of other cool shit. I can, you know, learn to code. I can start like a, a unicorn company. I can like, uh, I, I don't know, like travel the world, whatever it is. Like every time you shatter a limiting belief that just opens up the world. Yeah. Oh, I just could not agree more. I could not agree more. And it's a it's so funny because language is something that I've absolutely loved throughout my whole life. Studied French and Chinese for oh, so 10 you're like plus judging years. My French no, 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 not at all. It's all good. <laughs> this dipshit calling so, the same yesterday. <laughs> it's hilarious, but yeah. I, I so I so resonate in terms of you know I was fortunate enough to be able to study in the in the countries. Yeah. So the in being immersed in it all speaking all the time you know that's what got me to a point of okay now I feel very comfortable with the languages but before that seven or eight years of just hand you know in class studying learning every day doing flashcards all the works like literally tried everything and still you just don't even feel like you really know what you're doing yeah. and I think it's such a huge issue and I think that just in terms of your your idea around kind of how you feel about the connection you get in different countries with different people, I 100% agree. And I think it helps us find ourselves more. You know, I yep. think it helps us grow personally, having those interpersonal connections and 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 kind of experiences with people that don't live like that, like, like yeah, us, yeah. or perhaps, you know, perhaps they do, but it, it is quite different. So I love that. Very cool. Okay. Oh, Andrew, there is so much we could talk about. I'm absolutely loving this conversation. I'm sure many of our peers out there listening are too. But I will start to wrap up. And one of the last questions I want to ask you is around failure. So we talk a lot about that on the show. Yeah. I think so many of us are super scared to take the leap or to do something different because of failure. We're scared that we're going to fail. We're scared that it's going to make us look bad. You know, what have been some of your greatest failures and how have you learned to overcome them? Yeah. So one fit, so I mentioned before this kind of DNA fitness body transformation company. Um, so I had to wind that down because it was just taking up too much time and I had to, uh, like fire people or well not fire, but like lay off people who, um, had put like immense trust in me and that, that was extremely difficult to do. Um, so that was, yeah, definitely like, a, uh, I guess a, 
again, I, I struggle to call things failures because like everything is just like a stepping stone in my head. And like having done that taught me so much about how I needed to balance my like time and energy and um, develop real focus instead of trying to just do everything because uh, it, it just kind of doesn't work. Um, so yeah, but I mean, I mean, at the time it didn't feel like that, obviously I wasn't like, oh yeah, well, I've learned this lesson and, uh, in two years, you know, whatever. Um, it was just like, man, this is like abject failure. This is horrible. Um, and I guess like if you're, if you're scared of failure, like you need to have trust that whatever happens, like you will learn from that failure and get better. And I, I guess the more convincing argument though, is like, what if you don't? Like what, like, what if you stay in your fucking nine to five accountancy job? Like you are going to live the most average life humanly possible. Like uh, you're going to be like 70 years old with as no stories to tell your grandchildren. Cause you're just like a boring fuck. And like, <laughs> that's that, that for me is just so much more powerful as a, as a driver, because I'm just like, okay, so yeah, sure. This language company could fail or whatever that means. Cause I don't see failure as like a thing, but let, let's say it does. Or like, the GRE exam. I mean, I was getting 70s at the start. I need to get 99%. I was terrified of that exam, but I was like, what if you don't? Like, then you're giving up this opportunity to study at like the world's best institution for, for data science. Oh, like, what if you don't start this company? Then you're just like, what, what the fuck else are you going to do? You're going to like get a nine to five job and just like be, you know, I don't know, a nobody. Like, I, so, so for me, like, there's no alternative. Like you have to, to push through it because if you don't, like, you're never going to live a fulfilling, meaningful life. You're never going to, going to have done something of, you know, substance of value. And um, yeah, like if if failure, again, I, I really don't like the word, like if um, a stepping stone that appear can be perceived as, as failure is what's getting in your way, then just like, um, yeah, you need to think beyond that. Um, and you need to like, seriously consider like, what is the alternative? And I think for a lot of people they're like, there just isn't one. Like, <laughs> um, if they don't push forward and fail and progress, um, they're going to be stagnant. And I just don't think that's, um, I, I don't think that's, a, I don't think you can live like that. <laughs> Seriously. Um, yeah. Mm. Super fair enough. And I, I completely agree. Awesome. Look, Andrew, You've accomplished so much at, by 24. It's incredible to see, you know, with your other company, with Uplearn, you got listed on the Forbes sitting on the 30 list in two categories, the social entrepreneurs category and the youngest entrepreneur category. You're now building your second major business, um, which we're so excited to see where that goes and see where you take it. Now, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who what have big goals, they have big dreams, but they're just not, too, they're at, at that place of confusion that you were at last year. They're not too sure where they want to take things. What advice would you give? Uh, for me, it was travel. Like, um, you know, taking that year off to, to travel, seeing so many different um, parts of the world, different cultures, um, talking to, you know, thousands of different people with like these f***ing, like, I, mean, I remember like I met this, this dude at a hostel and I asked him what he does. And he was like, oh, I'm a carpenter. And I was like, I didn't even know like people did, like obviously they do, but like, cause of the bubble that I'd been in, I was like carpenting. <laughs> like it was just like, you know, so um, yeah, I think travel is a great way to get out of your comfort zone, see the world and get a better feel for like what you really want to do with your life. Cause otherwise you, you're like, uh, as an adult, you've basically just been socially programmed by, you know, school, education, your parents. Um, you, you don't really know what you want. You know what society wants you to want. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think travel is the number one way to do it. Um, second thing though, is like, if you're feeling lost and you're kind of just like spinning around in spirals, just taking a step forward in any direction is a great idea. Um, like go-tos would be like, I don't know, like signing up to the gym, um, learning a new sport, learning a new language, just any form of progress will get you out of that spiral. Um, and if you've got, but if you've got like a big dream or like a clear vision, then again, taking a step in the direction of that vision, but a very small one. I'm not talking about like, um, like my, one of my favorite stories is, um, I mentioned earlier that like the founder of Deliveroo came to our, our university to give a, give a talk. And, uh, all the students were like, so how did you raise money? Um, how did you get started? And, um, he was like, okay, so basically like, um, I printed out like a menu of a local restaurant and I gave it to people like my neighbors. 
And then I cycled to the restaurant, picked up the thing and then gave it to, to my neighbors. <laughs> and we're just like, what? But like, what about the, the VCs? Yeah. Like, where's the coding, man? What, what about the AI? And it was just like, no, no, like that, you just like small yeah. steps. And then from there, he was like, okay, this is working. More restaurants, more deliveries. Then he hired somebody else to do deliveries. And now you have Deliveroo, which is like fucking huge. Um, but it starts with these very like tiny baby steps. Oh, Andrew, we so appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely awesome. So insightful. I cannot wait for everyone to listen into this one. So where can people learn more about you and your work? Yeah, sure. So um, I've got Instagram. So that's just Andrew Mitson. And then I've got my blog, which is andrewmitson.co.uk. And then if you're interested in what we're doing at, at First Words, that's firstwordsspanish.com. Um, and yeah, once Spanish is down, we're going to be expanding into other languages. Should be very exciting. Cannot wait for the French one. <laughs> Absolutely love that. We'll link that in the show notes. Now, the final question is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Peers Project. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? It's life. Like that, that, that is, uh, that is what life is about. And whatever your passion is, that's, that's completely up to you. Um, but that's like what life is. It's pursuing your passions and moving towards something that means something to you. Um, and that can be extremely banal. It can be like getting to partner level at a, an accountancy firm, or it can be something absolutely outrageous. Like, um, yeah, you know, uh, becoming a, a circus performer or whatever, anything in between. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, it, it's, it's literally life. Like I, I don't, yeah. Um, <laughs> love it. The most coherent answer. But, uh, <laughs> I love it. Andrew, ladies and gentlemen, we've had an absolute blast. Thank you so much. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that.
Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.